Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Well, good morning. If I don't know you, my name's Daniel. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Horizon Church. And we have been this summer, uh, whether you're aware of it or not, um, in a summer a series called Summer in Psalms. If you're new to church, it might look like Summer in Psalms. Uh, but it's one of the most famous books in the Old Testament. People that follow Jesus, people who don't follow Jesus. If there's going to be a book in the Bible that they're maybe aware of, it's probably the book of Psalms. It's either this or Proverbs where people kind of pull things out. And they put it around their houses. Maybe they had a grandma or, you know, a mom or a dad or a friend's house where it's, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord or, you know, bless the Lord. Sometimes I wish we would like, if there's a rotation, like some of the really awkward Psalms to put it up there, I think would be kind of funny. Like, Lord, curse and chase down my enemies and this and that. Like some of them, right? Like, I just, hey. Um, but when Pastor Craig asked me to speak, the, the joke about this is in my Bible college, there was a bit of a, a tongue-in-cheek joke. It said Psalms, the book of Psalms was for the music students, and the rest of the Bible was for the theology students <laughs> and how to study. Because every time it's any, a music student, oh, I was just reading in Psalms, it was kind of like the rendition of just flip your Bible and point, right? It's like, read till you feel good, that's the Psalm. But the reality is the book of Psalms... It's kind of like that for us. It's actually not written by one author. If you didn't know, there's multiple different authors and it's kind of five different sections of books all pushed together. And all of us in this room, if we're familiar with the Bible, we'd probably have maybe about a handful of Psalms that you go to, that you remember, that you love. The Psalms 23, that he's our shepherd, that Psalms, you know, the 51, about Lord created me a clean heart and a, and a pure heart, the Psalms 119. But the reality is there's probably a lot of Psalms that we're really not sure what to do with, right? Like, when we do read the Psalms, we hear strange things. The psalmist cursing his enemies, scolding and complaining to God, claiming to be righteous, but not. We see men claiming to be righteous, but then we see a David falling into immorality and all these different things. And it leaves us, especially in the 21st century, wondering, what do we do with this book? Has anyone ever wondered that? Like, how, which Psalms do I actually live out? Because there's Psalms, and I read them called to love my neighbor, but then David's praying that, you know, hot lava will get poured on their head. And I find myself leaning a little bit maybe towards Psalms sometimes versus the way of Jesus. But today we want to jump into one of these Psalms. And the, the Psalm that I, I felt the Lord lead me to today was actually Psalms 1. And as I begin to study it out a little bit, maybe it's because it's one of the easier Psalms to exegete as I love to, to study and to teach the word of God. It's kind of hard to teach someone's diary. And so sometimes David, again, he's a little bit emotional, but most scholars actually believe that Psalms 1 is the primary Psalm to which the next 149 Psalms are an expository of. That Psalms chapter one actually lays a foundation in life that we would recognize if you watch Bugs Bunny back in the day or Tom and Jerry with the little devil on one shoulder and the little angel on the other shoulder. Psalms one introduces to us the choice between the righteous and the unrighteous path. Again, we talk to kids, we raise kids, say, hey, make good 
choices. And we understand that life, there's the choice of the good and the choice of the bad. And, and this is kind of how life is lived. As we look at the Bible, this becomes a major biblical theme. The theme is this doctrine of two ways. The verses reveal two paths that we're going to read of righteousness and of wickedness. Where those paths either lead to happiness and fulfillment and fruitfulness or destruction. The idea of these two paths or two choices, like we said, is not uncommon in our society today, but it's also found at the center of Jesus and his teaching. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the last section in Matthew, we see that Jesus continually tries to paint a picture of these two choices. He uses parables and illustrations to try and flesh out what's before us. We see that there's a parable of two gates. We see that there's a parable of two roads. We see that there's another parable of two trees. There's a parable of two types of fruits. There's two houses. There's two foundations. There's two kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of this world. And we see that our life is lived in tension between these two choices. Psalms 1 deliberately draws two portraits in our minds. The portrait of the wicked man and the portrait of the wise man. Then the question is posed to you and I this morning. Which are we? Or maybe I'll pose it a different way. Where do you find yourself this morning? I want to read the Psalms and we're going to take a little bit of time and then we're going to give some time to respond. But Psalms chapter 1 says this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If you're taking notes or watching online, I encourage you to, because uh, we're going to move quickly through some of this, is we don't, or what we don't examine will eventually wander. What we don't examine will eventually wander. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, this morning we just stop in the busyness of our week and we pause our minds of everything going on to remind ourselves that for those who follow Jesus, your word is meant to instruct. So Holy Spirit, I ask, would you convict me this morning? God, would you reveal the areas of my life that aren't aligning to your word? God, we thank you that you made it even possible for us to come to you and allow your spirit to lead and direct and guide us. So Lord, we thank you that today your word doesn't return void. God, I pray that it would accomplish what it's set out to do. God, I pray that you would use me to elaborate, to expound upon, to bring light to what your word is. God, let nothing of me be left if that's possible. Jesus, we look to you this morning and we thank you for what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. See, before we get into the majority, we're going to be in verses uh, one and two today. That first bit that we read, there's a lot in this. And, and my, my hope today is not to bring out every single nugget that's in this passage. 
because uh, one, I don't know if I'd be able to accurately communicate what I feel like the Lord has shown me, but my hope today is that there might be something that would cause your curiosity to be sparked, that you yourself would, would go into this word, would go into this passage and say, God, would you speak to me? Would you reveal to me what it is that you're saying? But before we get into that, there's a couple ground rules. I think when you, when you look to ancient texts, it's important to maybe clarify what certain things mean because uh, what is meant today, the same word could be used 100 years ago and have a very different meaning. I'm sure most of you have lived life long enough to have seen that yourself. Um, that something was sick once when they were throwing up and then it was cool and now it's just lame when you say it's sick, apparently. My youth have let me know that. I'm like, oh, that's sick. They're like, oh, you 40? I'm like, excuse me? And so it's one of those things where, where words change over time and their meanings and how it's understood. So number one, the thing to understand that in this passage, the psalmist who's writing gives us a picture of an unrighteous way and a righteous way. Before we get into this, before, especially of those who've grown up in the church, it's important to notice, number one, is Jesus is the only person to ever live out the righteous path in Psalms 1. See, if we're not careful, we can allow religiosity, we can allow works mentality to come in and think that we are righteous. But he is the only person to have ever have lived who never walked in the counsel of the wicked, who's never stood in the place of sinners and never sat and scoffed in the seat of scoffers. He's the only one that was planted by the streams of the that always produce fruit. He's the only one who is always, his leaves never wither. He's the only one who can stand righteous before the judgment of God. That it's only because of Jesus that we can even begin to ask ourselves which path that we're on. And if Jesus is the first and the only one to be in the path of righteousness, we need to understand that where we begin is not the path of righteousness. That you and I, when we are born into sin, as the Bible teaches us, our entire life begins on the path of the ungodly or the unrighteous. We're going to get into a little bit what that means, because anytime we say wicked, we like, we got our back up, like, I'm not wicked, you're wicked. You know, that person's wicked, I'm not wicked. We'll get into that. But the psalmist begins where we are. And I think it's brilliant. It's kind of interesting that psalmist goes, blessed, and then he just goes to talk about who's not blessed. Is that weird to anyone else but me? See, this is when I read the Bible, I get confused. And I got to go to like some commentaries like, help, help, help me understand this a little bit here. But you see, the psalmist doesn't start with where Jesus, he actually starts because he's speaking to us where we start. None of us automatically start out being righteous. We start out being sinners. And if we do eventually enter by the straight gate upon the narrow road that leads to life, it is only by God's grace. And I think that's important to start out because we're going to be talking about how do we live the life of the righteous. And if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I know what can develop in my own heart, in my own spirit. It's a little bit of self-righteousness. It's a little bit of, oh, at least I'm not them. And I feel better about myself. I begin to compare myself for those who are on a different path in certain areas of my life. Family, as we read the word of God, we need to read it with a keen awareness that apart from the grace of Jesus, nothing good in this book applies to me. Like, I'm the prodigal son that left. I'm the religious leader that doesn't get it. I'm the unfruitful servant. I'm the dishonor. Like, this is me. 
We're not Moses at the end of the book. We're Moses at the beginning of the book. We're not David slaying the giant. We're David being an adulteress over here. Like this is where we read the story of the gospel. It is not good news until you understand your place in the story. And the psalmist starts with this and reminds us that Jesus is the only person to live this out. Number two is we are multifaceted beings. This is important. It's going to get into this. What I mean by this is when we do receive forgiveness in Jesus, why we say in the church, you've been born again. When you believe in Jesus, your spirit is called born again. It is born that it comes to life. And if there's two paths, the unrighteous and the righteous, your spirit is in the righteousness of Christ. We've got these words that we talked about Colossians summers. You are in Christ and Christ is in you that we have put on the what? The righteousness of Christ. When we ask for forgiveness, we accept Jesus. His righteous works are now encompassing us. We stand before the Father. He sees the righteousness of Christ. But I think if we're not careful, we can read this like, oh, I'm saved, I'm good. I'm on the righteous path. There's more to you than just your spirit. Because how many know that you can ask forgiveness of Jesus, your spirit can be with him, but your mouth can be well with the world? Just me? Just me? (laughs) Your thoughts can go on that highway, not the narrow way. That your emotions, this begins the biblical process. Salvation is a moment. The Bible says you are saved when you believe. There's a process where we are being saved and one day we will be saved. It's called sanctification. It's a process. And the moment we say yes to Jesus begins the process where we begin in all areas of our life to begin the sojourn from the path of unrighteousness towards the path of righteousness. Our minds, what we think about, our thoughts, how we process, needs to go from the way of the world to the way of Jesus. Our emotions... We're not called to be led by them. They're called to come underneath Jesus, not following the way of the world, but the way of Jesus. Our social interactions, our relationships should be dictated, not based on our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, but dictated based on the way of Jesus, not the way the world does it. Our bodies, what we do with our bodies, how we interact, the things we say, is all called to align under Jesus. And so we can read this if we're not careful and think, oh, I've invited Jesus into my life. Therefore, I get all the good stuff the righteous person gets. And our spirit might be alive in Christ, but our body might be well alive in the old way of life. And we wonder why we don't experience the fruit of righteousness when most of us still lives in the way of unrighteousness. That Jesus begins to paint a picture through the author of of this psalm. See, we're saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be saved. It's important to understand that just because you commit your life to Jesus, it does not automatically mean your whole life is on the path of righteousness. We're multifaceted beings. And number three, not only multifaceted, but we are dynamic beings. What that means is you don't stay the same. As I turned 30, I realized that my physical body is not dynamic from high school as a 16-year-old that was in the hockey rink all the time, that physically our bodies change. Emotionally, you change. Just because an aspect of your life may find itself in the way of Jesus today does not mean it'll automatically remain there without intention. I say this, way: maybe your mind, like, hey, my thought life, it's, you know, whether you go to camp, we deal with this with students all the time. They come off of camp and they're in a, they're just a spiritual high. God, I'm reading my Bible and, and their thought process, it's following the way of Jesus. Then comes September. Right? 
where there's no more camp and there's school, all these different things going on. And all of a sudden, what once was on the right path, because we're dynamic and we're changing, if there's not intention and attention, it just begins to wander, that our lives are dynamic. What does that mean for you and me? Just because when you were 30, you lived according to the word of God, doesn't mean you're automatically going to be there. Doesn't mean you don't have to pay attention to that aspect of your life anymore. Again, the heads nodding in this room are the heads that have lived life longer than me, and you've known this to be true. It's the things we talk about, you know, our faith is like an onion. It's just a really nasty analogy because I don't like onions, but it's like God just continues to work and continues to work. And if we're not careful, we'll just keep going around that mountain again and again and again until we're willing to deal with it. The Psalms lets us know that we can't just go on automatic, as one of my pastors in Portland used to say, you can't just put it on automatic stupid and expect that everything's going to be good. That we need to engage in our walk with Jesus. And why is it so important that we engage? Because we're multifaceted, we're dynamic, and because of a sin nature, number four is we are sinful beings, our tendency is not towards the path of righteousness. Our tendency will always be, if unguarded and left unattended, to unrighteousness. If I don't pay attention, I don't choose selflessness. I choose selfishness. When, I, when I'm not paying attention, my flesh wants its own way. It doesn't want to crucify its way and come underneath Jesus. We need to understand this about ourselves because if we read through the book, again, because uh, what we don't examine will eventually wander. And as you read this Psalms, there's no one sitting here today that you'd be like, you know what? That's a great Psalm. I choose the way of unrighteousness. You know what? I'd like to be like chaff blown in the wind and burned in fire. I don't want to stand in judgment and I'd like my life to end in despair. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? Like no one's going to choose that. But yet the Psalms written for a reason because for a couple millennia, people have been choosing that. There's people who follow Jesus that there's aspects of their life that are still choosing that. There's areas of our comfort. There's areas of our life, of our will, of our sin nature that are still alive and well and on the path of unrighteousness rather than righteousness. See, many of us in this room, including myself, choose option two weekly. And we're faced with, and maybe we're not aware of it, sometimes we are, but the questions to be asked, what causes us to live according to the, un, the way of the ungodly? Because again, I, I believe this to be true. I, I, love, I believe love believes the best. I believe that you're here today and you follow Jesus. You're here because you love Jesus. Or you're on a journey to figure out what he is or there's a need in your life. I don't think any of us woke up this morning you're like, you know what? I would like to be unrighteous this morning. That's my goal. I believe there's a desire. You're here, that's why. But what can cause us to do that? And I think there's two things that we're going to study and pray about and by no means this is this an exhaustive list. But like one, a lot of times, if there's change or trauma, disappointment, hurt, can cause us to take the things that take effort and move it to the path of unrighteousness, or rather than move it, just allow it to go there. Where the Bible says, don't take offense. We do our best to forgive, but then someone close to us hurts us. You know what? I know I should probably forgive, but I'm, it's too much effort to try and maintain and walk in the path of the righteous. I'm just going to allow myself to just rest in bitterness for a little bit, Right? My time, 
I know I'm, well, I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm supposed to, hey, God, I'm supposed to serve you and do this, but it just gets so busy. And so my time, my rest with you, God, I know that's right, but oh, this is there. I prayed for that person, but they died anyways. And I know I'm supposed to pray, but it just hurts too much. There are those moments that there's a hurt or there's a pain or there's a disappointment that causes you to give up the fight or the battle to examine your heart and make sure it aligns underneath the way of Jesus. Those happen. And I don't want to belittle that. But I think more often than not, why we end up there, it's just simply because we don't pay attention. Like I know in my life, when God puts there, I'm like, man, how did I get here again? And I realized I just lacked intention. It's an unintentional drift that happens in our spirit. It's an unintentional drift that happens in our devotional life where it's one day, two days, one week, three weeks, a month. And then it's just, oh, right. I haven't read my Bible in a month. I'm just not sure whether it's prayer, whether it's tithing, whether it's giving. Like, and those are just the easy ones. Our interactions, our thought life. Do we take every thought captive? That can be exhausting. So we just, we don't really pay attention to it. We, we settle for just being good moral people. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hurting anyone. And we're going to get into that. That's actually the counsel of the ungodly, not of the godly. See, because the bottom line is what we don't examine, we will eventually, or what we don't examine, examine will eventually wander. Thankfully, verse one and two give us some insight how we can choose to live in the way of Jesus rather the way of the world. And there's steps of wandering. We're going to, these aren't the exact steps, but we see that there's kind of like three moments or stages. We're going to call it steps because we're talking about a way and a path and a journey and it works good. Okay. So three steps that we look at that are actually the psalmist. Today, when we write poems, we have words rhyme. Back in the Hebrew, when they'd write, they would have thoughts matching. It's called parallelism or parallelism that they'd walk through. And, and so as we write this, we see that there's kind of three steps and sections that all relate in here. First, we see these three words, walk, stand, and sit. So he does not walk in the council. He does not stand in the way. He does not sit. See, it's, it's a progression. Like I talked about, our tendency is towards self and sin, not towards Jesus. So we see that if we're not paying attention, if we leave our lives, aspects of our soul, our body, our mind unattended, the enemy doesn't have you worshiping on a Sunday and worshiping Satan on a Monday, right? Like he's a little bit more subtle than that, hopefully. If not, there's prayer at the end. <laughs> you know, the enemy, he, he's not gonna come. Sometimes we're just, there's no attack and so we're unaware that we are so far from the way of Jesus because it wasn't up front and bold and in our face. It was just subtle. It's not that I don't believe in Jesus. You all of a sudden just begin to walk. It's not a place of permanence. It's kind of casual and you're walking, but then we see that it progresses to stand a little bit more solidified in understanding. All of a sudden you seat in a place of held conviction. It's this progression away from the way of God. And in that same progression, it says we walk what? In the counsel of the ungodly. And then it's the way of the sinner. And then it's actually the seat of the scoffer. We see again that there is this progression. Counsel speaks to our thoughts and the worldview, how we view the world, our philosophy, the answer to the question why when it comes to your life and your purpose. Where do you get that? According to the Word of God or according to CNN? According to your TikTok theology or according to the Word of God? 
We begin to get counsel to tell us how we are to live and how we are to think. And it starts with this way that just, it's just thoughts. We're not doing anything. It's just, I just maybe think this. And, and if you allow your thoughts to be led by the way of the ungodly rather than the word of God, your thoughts in one generation become actions in the next generation and become habitual in the third generation. We see that there's these un, these, this, this counsel, this way of this is how you should do it. And it progresses not just to how you should do it, but the way you do do it, the way. This is how we live our life. This is how I handle conflict. This is how I gossip. This is how I handle my money. It's not just an idea, but it turns into actions. And sooner or later, if you act long enough, it becomes these firm convictions. It is a seat. You see, in our, in our current day, we can miss this. But to sit in a seat actually was the place of a rabbi who was teaching. Because a Jewish rabbi would go, he would sit down and his disciples, those listening, would stand. And the psalmist is saying, it used to just be a thought and then it became the way you live. But now you are so convinced by it, but you teach other people to live this way. Through your life, through your words, through your upbringing, your parenting, all of these things. That this becomes so who you are that you begin to teach. Not only is it a place of teaching as a rabbi, but it's a seat, a, a, a position. We see that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. It speaks to a finality. It speaks to a stubbornness. It speaks to a cementing of how we do things in the areas of our lives. Daniel, it doesn't really matter. I know the Bible says, I just think this instead. That's good for you, but maybe not for me. I'm like, well... For dynamic beings and our trend is not towards the way of Jesus. Be careful. Why does the Bible say that we need to guard our thoughts? Because if left unguarded, they turn into the way we live and eventually the seat that we sit in. And thirdly, we see in this progression of threes is the ungodly. And in my ESV says actually the wicked. And I want to be, this is where I think we can pull our little get out of jail free card if we're not careful. Like, oh, I'm not wicked. I love that it says ungodly because it simply means people that do not believe there is a God or they live as if there were no God. I'm not wicked. Does your life reflect that you believe that there's a God who has a specific choice and a specific purpose and a specific plan? Or just live as if there were no God? I believe there is, but I live as if there were no God. And it's not intentional, but then it goes to a place of sinner. Whereas I, I know that there is a God and he has a will, but I'm going to choose this way anyways. This is just easiest right now. You don't understand what's going on. This is, just, this, this is just how I live my life. And then it goes, not just that, but to a scoffer. We see this all around in young adults in deconstruction right now. People that didn't understand how to live and they begin to question and they don't know and there's hurts and there's pains and it's no longer they live a life away from God, but now they scoff against it. That that's the problem with the world. I'm getting sick of TikToks where it's just like, oh, Christianity, they're the problem for all of our, they're, they're the solution or they're the, the source of all the problems in society. And we just forget to read history at all. And we listen to the counsel of the ungodly and we forget what history tells us of the church. It's not all good, but I can tell you that the good that is in the world is because people who fear and believe in God and believe that they're not called to live according to themselves, according to their flesh, but they're called to lay down their life. There's people in Afghanistan right now that are running towards it, not away from it, because they're not praying for safety. They're praying for boldness that they might not give up their testimony even unto death because they're convinced that their life is meant to make a difference. But there's a progression. Our thoughts turn to actions and turn into stances that we shout across the table at people. There's a way of the ungodly and the way of the righteous. And I hope you're seeing that it's a progression. It doesn't just happen overnight. 
And the steps we take is to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I love this. Um, I think it was Spurgeon. His commentary on Psalms 1 said, the, the ungodly man is unconcerned about religion. Neither is he, or he is neither zealous for his own salvation nor for that of others. And he counsels and advises those whom he converses with to adopt his plan and not trouble themselves about praying, reading, or repentance, etc. There is no need for such things. All you need to do is live an honest life. Make no fuss about religion and you will fare well enough at last. Sound a little bit like our culture? Just find your own truth. The counsel of culture. Follow your heart. Like we have some counsel of people who do not believe there's a God or live as if there were not. What's true for you is true for you. That's fine. As long as no one's getting hurt. There's this counsel, this, this worldview that goes around that truth is relative to who you are and how we find it. And it doesn't seem like a big deal at first until it begins to shape your entire worldview. And then when you read the word of God and it confronts you, you got your little out of jail free card. Be like, oh, that's just not true for me. And we think that truth is like a pick and choose. It's not a buffet. That we can choose what we want and leave what we don't want. That the way of the righteous understands that there is a way to believe. There is a worldview that is shaped through the cross and the grace of Jesus. Not just how we feel. Not just what makes us comfortable. This is the place our worldview is shaped. Our philosophy of life. And the first step away from Jesus is not to outright reject him. It's simply to begin to adopt the mind of the world. And how you think. I want to encourage you. If you hear something on a Sunday. You're reading your Bible. You're not sure about it. Press into that. Ask questions. Because I'm telling you, the word of God can stand up to your questions. It's meant to lead and guide our life. You see, the past 18 months, it's been littered with this. Working with students, they, the counsel that gets from 30 seconds on a TikTok. And I hear in people, it's not just Students. We've had an explosion of life coaches on Instagram. If you're on their Facebook, that it sounds good until you play it till it's end. You're like, actually, that's really dumb. Like the other one, it's like, you know, if someone heard, I saw one the other day and I just had to laugh at all these likes and other people sharing it. But like, you know, if someone, if someone crosses you, you get forgiven once. If, if they cross you a second time, get rid of them out of your life. They're not worth it. I'm like, well, I'm done. Like, I don't know a single person that could stand up to that scrutiny. Like the person writing it was stupid enough to understand that like, hey, like they're just deceived and understanding like they've crossed people, that they've made mistakes. And we have this worldview and this standard that's just so unrealistic. But if we're not careful, we adopt it. Because you know what feels better? To say I'm done with you rather than I forgive you. You know what feels better? Oh, tell me about it. Let, let me tell you what else they did rather than, hey, have you talked to them first? We have a culture that loves to talk about people rather than operating in Matthew 18. It says, if you're offended, you go to that person. Not talk about them, they go to them. There's an order and a structure in the way of Jesus that we're called to live. Yeah, but Dan, it doesn't make sense. You don't understand. There's other things going on. I think when Jesus taught it, the Bible says he's above time and he's all sovereign and all knowing that it wasn't like he was like, oh, dang, I didn't think about 2021. I'm sorry. You know, right? You can go talk to other people. Oh, I was just talking about my time. Forgive me. My word, it, it's, it only made sense back then. Surely you're more wise now and you're more educated and you're more advanced. That You can find a better way to handle conflict. The counsel of the wicked, 
those that live as if there were no God. You see, this past year, I got people I talked to, and I, and I got to be careful with this because I know there's been areas in my heart, but I've had people come praying and asking questions that the Bible makes really, really clear. And if I decided, I'm like, I don't know if God's going to answer that. He already did in his word. Oh, I'm just praying if we need, you know, and again, obviously it's no one here. I got to be careful with this, but like, oh, we're just praying to see if, you know, if, if God wants us to go back to church. What? When did that ever become something we need to pray about? Oh, I'm just, I'm just praying about, you know, if I, if I should forgive or this and that. I find a church. It doesn't have to be this one, but that's not, in, that's not up for debate. Oh, I'm just praying about if I should be sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. What? These are, these are people who claim to follow Jesus, but the counsel of the ungodly, the counsel, it slowly begins to seep into the way we live, whether we're aware of it or not. Because the unexamined life will be a white life that begins to wander. And we won't have got time for the rest, but I, I really wanted to focus on this first one. Because I believe, I know as I examined this, I saw so many areas in my heart that were just wrong. They were just off. I felt like I was, I was rightful to be offended. I thought I was in the right place to be lazy in this way. Oh, I can procrastinate, it's fine. I deserve this rest. In areas of my time, in the areas of my thought life, where I go and where the concessions of my mind take me. Man, they just don't honor Jesus all the time. And I begin to realize it's because I just left it unexamined. We see after that, it stand in the way of the sinner. Again, so it's not just a thought life, but it begins to be the way that you live your life. Those that agree and don't really care. Psalms 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, so he is. The battle is in our minds and how we think and what we believe to be true. Our words, our action, our gossip, all of these things begin to, not only just the way we think, but it determines if we're not careful how we live. And thirdly, to sit in the seat of scoffers. To sit in the seat of a scoffer speaks further to the digression from the way of the righteous. Katie, if you want to come up on the keys. What started as entertaining the counsel and philosophy of the world slowly moves to adopting the way of the world and eventually becomes the firm conviction that you not only live according to, but becomes the way that you teach those around you. See, the author of Psalms 1 lays it out for the real, us, the reality that it's always playing out in front of us, that this very real sin nature will gradually and continually pull you back to the path of the ungodly. Because what we don't examine will eventually wander. Which leaves us with the last question today. What do we do? Verse 2 elaborates. It says, not only that, that doesn't go in there. Verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. What does that mean? Simply the law of the Lord just speaks to it. And again, this passage would have been the Torah. But to us, it speaks like his word. Not just his word that is written, but the word, like the laws in humanity and in, in our universe that he set out. The fact that we all begin as sinners, that apart from Christ, none of us have any hope. It's kind of an interesting thing to delight in the law, isn't it? Until you understand that the law of God gave you hope where there was no hope. 
And if you're wondering and you ask and you, you say, God, how do I, maybe my thought process, God, I'm, I, I, the world has shaped it. And it's so far, it seems so unrealistic. It seems so impossible for me to live, to think, to act, to speak, to feel the way of Christ. And I, I, don't, I don't even think it's possible. Maybe that's for the super spiritual, but not for me. The Bible says we need to learn to delight in the law of the Lord. John R. Stott addressed wisely this delight is an indication of the new birth. For sinful minds are hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Romans chapter eight says that. As a result of the inward regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, however, the godly find that they love the law of God simply because it conveys to them the will of their God. His purpose, his plan, his love. Why do you love the law? Because it's life to you and I. I don't love the law because if I follow it, I'll get this. I love the law because it's the life to my soul, to my spirit. It lets me know that there's a God that loves me, the God that hasn't forgotten me, a God that comes back when I wander back to the path of the unrighteous and says, son, I died for more than this and leads me back into the way of righteousness. We started by saying that Psalms 1 is the blueprint for the rest of the Psalms. This tells us that we have a good shepherd that leads us and guides us. Then we walk on other ways. says, no, I have a way for you where there's still waters, where there's calmness, where there's green pastures that I'll fight for you. It says Psalms 51 that if you're on the path of the unrighteous it create in me a clean heart. God, there's areas of my heart of my life that I've chosen to take the counsel of, to walk in the way of, and if I'm honest, I'm just sitting in the seat of sin in this, my life, in this area of my life. If you're like, man, delighting in the law of the Lord is the last thing that I want to do. It's a beautiful passage in the New Testament where there's a man that says to Jesus, says, I believe but would you help my unbelief? What are the best place to start? Like Daniel, I don't even want to start. Say, God, I know I need to delight in your law, but I don't. Would you help me? And we see that this righteousness as we started is only possible because of Jesus. We started this service singing about returning to the heart of worship. How do you learn to delight in the law? Ask Jesus to reveal it to you. Ask Jesus to reveal the word of God to you in ways that make you come alive again. Remind yourself of who you were apart from Christ. If nothing else, that will cause you to delight because the law lays out that apart from Christ, we were at the end place of the sinful. That there was destruction for me. There's nothing good in me. But for God and his love and his grace, there's hope. For nothing else, God, I'm going to delight in that. I'm going to make that my joy. I'm going to remind myself of that. Not only that, but we're called to meditate on it day and night. See, when I was fishing in college, I worked on a fishing boat that we would sail from Campbell River all the way up to the top of the Queen Charlotte Islands. Part of my job was a captain. He had his, his map and his instruments, and I was steering during the day and during the night, and it's pretty narrow. And I remember he said, Daniel, there was a heading. There was an instrument that I had to read that read a certain degree. And he said, I'm going to tell you a degree, and you need to keep it there within one degree either way. And I was like, okay, whatever. 
And I was talking, not really paying attention. All of a sudden he yells at me and he was not a believer of Jesus. <laughs> so he, he used some descriptors. So what are you doing? I told you 35. I'm like, hey, it's 29, it's close. It's no. He goes, because where we're at, if you leave things unattended to, it just seems like a little drift at first. But it begins to drift further and further away. And we were in there and he had a map. He had the direction for the way we needed to go that would avoid rocks that I could not see, that would avoid the damage that I could not see. And we began, and then it became nighttime and it was dark and I couldn't see anything. And then he just said, he had the map and all I had to look at was the instrument. 34 degrees, great, hold it on there. Okay, now we need to go to 37, okay, there we are. I, I'm just trusting the captain and that his map is right and that the instruments are leading me because I can't see anything. I had to play close attention to the, war, the, the, the instrument that was in front of me. And this past 18 months, family, has been a dark, confusing time. We've walked where we've never walked before. Even if you think you know what's going on, there's things underneath the surface of your life that you don't know are just waiting to destroy you. And the Lord gave us his word, which is a map, and his Holy Spirit, which is the instrument that speaks and leads and guides us. You have a good father and a good shepherd that says, son, I know you don't think it's a big deal, but 34, not 37, because you don't know where 37 is going to lead you. There's something coming around the bend. Son, daughter, would you listen to me? Would you obey my voice? And Jesus, through the psalmist, says, if you want to remain on the way of the righteous, meditate on his word and his spirit and his way day and night. Put it before your mind. Talk about it in community. Find people around you that you can discuss it. Rather than going to the council of Facebook, find trusted followers of Jesus and say, help me understand this. God gave us a community to help us walk, to help us understand, and to help us navigate the areas that are unknown to us, but known to the Father. I'll close with this story for those who maybe you're new to church. It's said in Palestine years ago, a man named Joseph Flax was there and he had the opportunity to address a gathering of Jews and Arabs and took the subject of his address, the first Psalm. He read it, then asked the question, who is the blessed man of whom the Psalmist speaks? This man never walked in the counsel of the wicked nor stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of mockers. He was an absolutely sinless man. Nobody spoke. So Flack said, was he our great father, Abraham? And one man said, no, it cannot be Abraham. He denied his wife and told a lie about her. Well, how about the lawgiver Moses? Said, no, someone said, it can't be Moses. He killed a man and lost his temper by the waters of Meribah. Flax then suggested David, but as we all know, it was not David. And there was silence for a long time. Then an elderly Jew arose and said, my brothers, I have this little book here. It's called the New Testament. I've been reading it, and if I could believe this book, if I could be sure that it is true, I would say that the man of the first psalm was Jesus of Nazareth. See, Jesus is the man, of course. He's the only perfect man who ever lived, and he is the sinner's savior. It is he who stands at the portal of this book to show us the way to help us do it, to not choose the way of the ungodly, Walk in the way 
of righteousness. With every head bowed, every eye closed, online and in the room. If you're here today and you know the reality is that your life is on the way of the ungodly, maybe it wasn't intentional, but you know you live as if there is no God. But something's been stirring in your heart and you want to give your life to Jesus, the first step back towards Jesus. It's not a bunch of doing the right things. It's not about earning the right stuff. It's about receiving the person of Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Daniel, I'm in that place. I need Jesus to come and rescue my spirit so that my life might be transformed. If you're in the room, you can put up your hand. If you're online, there's chat hosts there that would love to say, hey, that's me today. Just give a quick moment. Is anyone in the room? Yeah, come on. For that one hand that I saw and maybe some online I can't see. But can we all just pray this simple sinner's prayer that welcomes Jesus into our heart for that one hand that went up. Say, Jesus, I thank you that I don't have to be righteous in my own effort because you were on your work on the cross. Would you forgive me, a sinner? Would you send your Holy Spirit to come into my life, to lead and guide me. I surrender control to you and your way in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can we just give a hand clap of praise? Come on. Thank you, Lord. I love that the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when even one gives their life to Jesus. And here's where we're going to stay for the rest of today. I'm going to be done. Don't worry. In the next few weeks, we're starting a series called Return, where we begin the steps back for some of us, some of us for the first time, to a life that is led by Jesus. But I felt this morning we were supposed to give three minutes. Those online, three minutes, and then you'll be done online. Just sit and ask Holy Spirit to search us. If you're anything like me, the areas that need to be changed, I avoid pretty well. But the Holy Spirit loves you too much to leave aspects of your life on the way of the unrighteous because he has so much more for you. So we're going to give three minutes. Close your eyes. And if you would, just invite Holy Spirit to search your heart, not your neighbors, not that person on Facebook, to search your heart. Simply ask the question, Holy Spirit, where have I wandered?
encouragement to step out of this this week. Don't rush out of this moment. Find a moment to write down. Sometimes just writing it down makes sure it wasn't just a passing thought, but you confirm, God, this is what you're speaking to me. And like I said, in the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a series called Return, where we're giving you some real practical ways that we can direct ourselves, all of ourselves, to the path of righteousness, the path, the way of Jesus. But I want to encourage you to delight in the way of the Lord, in the law of the Lord, in the word of the Lord, to meditate on that. If you start this week, start and end your day just reading the Bible, saying, God, would you speak to me? And if there's something that God put on your heart before you go to, oh, I just need to do this, 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 Maybe call up someone you know who follows Jesus. Say, hey, I feel like the Lord's saying this. Would you, would you do a listening prayer with me? Would you maybe pray and listen and see if the Lord would give you any wisdom as to what my next step is? Those online, you can jump to the pre-show or the post-show. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.